Yuri Smolinsky was a Jewish engineer in the former Soviet Union. And Yuri had been ordered to a new position, a minor move, so to speak, but he was to go all the way to Siberia. And his parents watched one Saturday morning in tears as Yuri packed his bags. And Yuri told them, I will write you every day and I will tell you the truth about what is going on. And his mother said, but what about the censorship? They'll watch everything that you'll write. They'll know every word that you write us. And then Yuri's father came up with an idea. And he said, son, anything that you write in black will know is the absolute truth. But if you write something in red ink, we'll know that it is a lie. About a month passed, and then from Siberia came a very long letter, all in black ink. And these are the words. Dear Mama and Papa, I can't begin to tell you how happy I am here. It is a worker's paradise. We are treated like kings. I live in a very fine apartment, and the local butcher gives us meat every day. There are many concerts and theaters and movies, and everything is free. And there is not one bit of anti-Semitism in the entire place. Love your son, Yuri. P.S. There is only one thing you can't find here, red ink. Ah, the truth. Is it in the black ink or in the red ink or somewhere in between? Join me if you will. The Gospel of John this day. In the 18th chapter starting with the 33rd verse, as John writes, about a kingdom that is not of this world. Would you stand in the reading of the gospel this day, following on the screen or in your Bibles? So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So, you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt 
in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Truth. You know, it's so difficult to determine what the truth is in the world in which we live. It keeps seeming to change every day. Sometimes we watch the outcome of a trial and we go, how in the world could the jury come up with that verdict? Couldn't they see that he was as guilty as sin? Or do they see something that I don't see? Or we hear about some commission or some committee who makes some outlandish stand on some controversial issue. And then we think to ourselves, how can they be so misguided? Can't they see it? Why, it's as plain as the nose on your face. Or do they know something that I don't know? And complicating this matter of determining what the truth is, is the fact that it's hard to know who to trust anymore. There are few heroes anymore, few authority figures, few people that we genuinely admire and respect because of their truthfulness. It seems that everyone has an agenda, and the truth may or may not be a part of that agenda. I want to welcome you to the last Sunday of the church year. This is where it all wraps up, this final Sunday in November, because next Sunday we begin all over again. You see, the church year doesn't follow the calendar year. And beginning next Sunday, we start Advent. And then, of course, as you well know, we move throughout the year. We go through Epiphany and the baptism of Jesus. We talk about his early teachings. Then we get into the season of Lent, and we talk about his final words and his death and his resurrection. And then later on in May or early June, depending on when it is, we have Pentecost and we have the coming of the Holy Spirit and the very foundation of the early church. And then we spend our summer months and our early fall when everything is decorated green and we talk about it as ordinary times when we try to take the teachings of Jesus Christ and really apply them to our lives and the lives that we meet So this is the last Sunday, folks. This is the last Sunday of the church year, and this is the Sunday in which we celebrate that Christ is king. Christ reigneth over all. Now, perhaps king is not the proper word to use for Jesus, if you think about it long enough, because we associate a king with one who has power and wealth and resources, a, a king who owns lots of land and tells lots of people what to do and wears a crown, and sits on a throne. That's the kind of physical king that we identify with. But if instead we think about the king as someone who has the last word in our lives, who has ultimate final authority and power over this thing that we called life, then celebrating Jesus Christ as king is the right and proper thing to do. And that is ultimately what this Sunday is all about. When the church declares at the conclusion of the church year that Christ is king, and Christ has the final words in our lives. 
In a world where there are a lot of people that claim to be king, in a world where there's a lot of people who say they have authority over everything from soup to nuts, the church declares that Jesus Christ is the last word, that he is the final authority, that Christ is king. In today's gospel, we see two kings going at it. They are combating each other. They are competing with who is going to have the last word. Jesus claims to be a king. Pontius Pilate claims to be a king. Matter of fact, Pontius Pilate is an earthly king, earthly king in the mightiest empire in the world at that time. But Jesus is unwilling to let Pilate have the last word. Jesus claims to be a king. Pilate claims to be a king. Who's going to have the last word? Jesus doesn't stand to make a bunch of kingly promises for the poor or the suffering or the dying. Instead, he trades words back and forth with this Roman governor, a governor who probably wishes he was back in bed, not having to deal with this Jew and the consequences that would come. We struggle to understand who the man in front of Pilate really is. We look at it from 2,000 years down the road, but we still struggle to understand the man who stands in front of Pilate. We hear a lot of generalities. My kingdom is not of this world. Or you say that I am king. Or for this I was born to bear witness to the truth. But Jesus doesn't give us any details about what the truth is. Is it any wonder that Pilate responds, what is truth? So who is this king? And what does truth have to do with any of it? Jesus and Pilate represent two totally different ways of looking at things. The power and authority in this world Pilate represents one kingdom. Jesus represents another kingdom. And folks, they are still with us today. They still exist. Both kings occupy space and time, but only one will have the very last word. Two kingdoms, two ways of life, two kinds of power, two kinds of authority, continually pushing and tugging at each other to find out who's going to come out on top. One lives by the power of the sword. The other lives by the power of love. One is driven to accumulate wealth. You can never have enough money. The other announces, blessed are the poor. There is no need to accumulate more. You already have everything that you need. One says you can never have enough money. The other one could care less about money. One believes that the weak must serve the strong. The other believes that the strong must serve the weak. What a difference. What a change. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. One demands that everyone gets what he deserves. The other declares that people get what they don't deserve. The mercy, the forgiveness, the love. One believes that everyone has got to prove himself, that there are no shortcuts, 
There are obligations to be fulfilled, conditions to be met, and the other believes that everyone is a child of God, a child of God that can look at God and say, Papa, and know that God loves them. Two different kings, two different kingdoms, two different ways of looking at things, two voices claiming authority, but only one will have the last word. On the night before Jesus was brought to Pilate, Jesus spoke words of assurance to his disciples. In John 14, you will read these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. You see, the last word is the word truth. It's the word that Pilate questions, and it's the word that Jesus Christ not only dies into, but is risen from. In John's gospel, truth isn't a fact. It isn't a scrap of data. It isn't some type of system of thought. Truth is the life-giving power of God. Truth is the life-giving power that comes from the Father given to the entire world through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one that we say we follow. Truth is the love of God revealed in the words and the actions of Christ. Go back to John again. Go back to the scripture that every last one of you know that you've learned from a very early age. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The truth. The truth. Jesus' whole identity, his words, his works, his dying, his rising, his breathing the Spirit into his followers is the embodiment of that simple thing, truth. And Jesus' kingship is like no other because he doesn't act like a regular king. Most kings make laws and decrees. They fight wars. They make treaties. They order a bunch of ordinary people around. Sometimes they are the ultimate judge, jury, and executioner. But according to John's gospel, what Jesus does is reveal a perfect light, an utter love, an endless gracious life in God to a bunch of people who are blind, bound, and dead. That's us, folks, just in case you were wondering. That's us. Blind, bound, and dead. You know, how strange that must have seemed for Pilate. Can you, can you appreciate where Pilate was that morning? He was used to hidden agendas and mixed motives and wheels within wheels. He knew how the world operated because he operated within the confines of the world. He understood imperial power and how to pull the strings, how he could dictate to his subjects whatever the emperor's wishes were. He could handle the truth as a weapon or as a tool. But he couldn't make heads or tails out of what Jesus Christ was telling him. He didn't have the faintest idea. I don't think it's much easier for us, if we're truly honest. It's hard enough for us to absorb the images of Christ as king. Christ reigneth over all. Christ is the one we follow. We have a difficult time even that. 
How much more of a difficult time do we have with the one who sheds the light of truth into the dark corners of our lives and in the dark corners of this world? The truth is still the truth. Didn't somebody once say, the truth will set you free? Who was that? It's a test. Go ahead. Who said it? Who said the truth will set you free? Jesus. Thank you, because I thought I was going to have to go to the beginning of this sermon all over again. How many of you have seen A Few Good Men? Good movie, huh? Yeah? In case you haven't seen it, it stars Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. And in it, there's a trial going on, and Tom Cruise is the young lawyer. He's a Lieutenant J.G., and he's got Jack Nicholson, who's a colonel in the United States Marine Corps, on the stand. And they're talking about a death in Gitmo. And finally, there comes a point, it gets heated as they trade barbs back and forth, and Tom Cruise finally turns to him and says, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson is only Jack Nicholson can do. He says, you can't handle the truth. There's a lot of truth in that. The question I might have for us is, can we handle the truth? Can we handle the hard, cold, harsh spotlight of the truth of Jesus Christ? Can you imagine what it's like to follow that sort of kingship? To claim that Jesus Christ is king and then be in the light of his unwavering truth, that kind of utter transparency that lays claim to our lives. You know, it's nice to talk about Jesus Christ as King. Nice to come in here and say, this is Christ the King Sunday. We're having a great time. But to live into it, to believe it, to follow Christ as the King, to have your life exposed to the truth, that's a whole other thing because it can be alarming when you get up close and personal with Jesus Christ. I think I've told you before, I love the Gospel of John. It is my favorite, favorite book in the Bible. The time when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, offering her living water. And then he reveals to her these words out of John. He says, you have had five husbands, and the ones you have now is not your husband. The one you're living with now is not your husband. And she uses that truthfulness, that searing encounter to go back to witness to the whole village and say, come, see a man who has told me everything that I've ever done. How many of us can do that? Come, see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. That's the truth. How about the man who's been paralyzed for some 38 years? Jesus says, do you want me to make you well? And the man gives a whole litany of excuses about how he couldn't make it fast enough to the swirling, miraculous waters of the pool. There was always a reason. There was always an excuse. And Jesus cuts through all of that and says, see, I've made you well. Do not sin anymore. And touched by Jesus, the man goes and starts to testify about the healing power of the Christ. That is the truth. Or how about the encounter with Nicodemus, 
where Jesus answers an honest question by Nicodemus with a piercing statement, and he says, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? He say, Nicodemus, what have you been teaching? What do you know? And yet Nicodemus, pierced by that truth, by the greater truth of God's love, he publicly defends him, and in fact, He helps to go bury the body, which I'm sure on resurrection, not on resurrection, three days before, whatever that is, that wasn't a famous, popular thing to do. We know how the story ends, don't we? Pilate's given his opportunity. The truth is standing right in front of him, and he has the opportunity to accept it. But we know that Pilate doesn't, because Pilate doesn't end up with the last word, does he? No, he crucifies the Christ, and yet who ends up with the last word? God, because God raises Christ from the dead, thereby announcing to the entire world, it was right. He was the truth from the very beginning, and he still is the truth. And the sign posted over his head that says king of the Jews is only partially right, because actually he's king of all who will believe and live into his truth. Jesus is indeed king, and his last word is truth. And with his resurrection, everything that Jesus claims about God becomes true. The love, the goodness, the forgiveness, that God is love, that sinners can be forgiven, and that eternal life is already ours. What kind of king is this? What kind of king is this? This is the king of truth. This is the king of the unvarnished truth. Jesus has the last word and our lives change. Life can no longer be lived the same. It's no longer business as usual when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because the truth has been made known. You know the truth and you cannot claim ignorance. You cannot claim stupidity. You know the truth. So will you live forever changed? Forever alive in God's wonderful light of truth through Jesus Christ? What is truth for us? The heart of God revealed by Christ himself? Or is it something else in our lives? Who is the king that we follow? Is it the king of the Jews, the king of us all, or is it some other king down the street that makes us feel good about who we are and what we do? There's a story about a young soldier in World War I who has lost the heart for battle and deserted the front lines. And he's trying to reach a boat on the coast so that he might find a way back to his homeland of England. And he is wandering through a pitch black night, hopelessly lost, trying to figure out which way to go. And finally, in the darkness, he comes across what he believes is a signpost. And he believes that if he could just climb that signpost and see where he is or or how many miles he has to go, he'd have a much better idea of how to get to the coast. And so in the darkness, he climbs that signpost. And he reaches the very top, and he strikes a match, and he finds himself looking squarely into the face of Jesus Christ. 
You see, he hasn't climbed a signpost. He has climbed a roadside crucifix. And we are told in that moment that he remembers the Christ, the one who died for him, the one who endured all things for him, who never turned back. And the next morning, the soldier was back in the trenches fighting the war. Are you ready to live your life that way? Are you ready to live into the truth that is Jesus Christ, or you just want to pay it lip service? Perhaps you and I should be looking for signposts. Signposts to help us determine what is true and what is not true. What is worth giving up our lives for and what is not. What king out there we should be following and what king we just need to file away. Maybe what we really need to do is to strike a match out there in the darkness and seriously start looking for the face of Jesus Christ. Seriously start looking for the truth that is the king that we serve and that reigneth forever and ever and ever. Would you bow your heads with me?